at the center of the Mobile Arts for Peace project's logo sits a lotus flower. Its central petals are yellow, which then become blue on the middle row, culminating in a row of red petals at the bottom. The flower is surrounded by a black ring on which sit the words Mobile Arts for Peace map. They are separated by a red, a blue and a yellow star. The artwork was created by a young person from the school Friends of the Children in Rwanda. The school is a partner school with the map project. In this episode, we learn about the artwork that inspired the logo. Discover more about MAP and talk to the principal investigator, Professor Anna Dambrit. I am Dr. Kula Haritonos, one of the co-investigators in the MAP project. And I am Dr. Sherezade Garcia Rangel, writer and podcast producer of this project. Welcome to the Everyday Peace Building Through the Arts podcast. In this series, we explore artworks created by young people as part of the Mobile Arts for Peace research project. We look into the many ways in which these artworks can travel through personal narratives and across project activities, ideas, contexts and geographies. We bring together young people, researchers and practitioners from across the world to reflect on how they use co-produce and co-design arts processes in conflict settings. In each episode, you will also find out more about how MAP encourages positive social change and advances dialogue for peace building through the use of participatory arts. Let us start with the project's name, Mobile Arts for Peace. In 2020, the Mobile Arts for Peace project, or MAP for short, begins. The aim of this project is to investigate the power of arts to enhance human development. Using arts-based approaches, MAP seeks to explore the different dimensions of peace and peace-building as defined by children and young people. MAP focuses on youth communities in four countries, Nepal, Kyrgyzstan, Rwanda and Indonesia. It promotes the adaptation and use of local cultural forms. In conflict situations, young people often feel voiceless and without a platform to express themselves. Arts-based methods can be particularly effective by opening space for young people to explore and share their voices and develop political agency. This project is funded by the Global Challenges Research Fund scheme through the Arts and Humanities Research Council in the UK. I remember hearing MAP's name for the first time during my early discussions with Professor Ananda Breed, the project's principal investigator. Other than what the project was envisioning to achieve, the name itself was very appealing to me. Mobile Arts for Peace. Inspiring, insightful and moving. I talked to Ananda about this, but before we share this interview, let me ask this question. Have you ever tried to come up with a catchy and thoughtful name for a project? A name that can encapsulate what the project is about. How easy did you find this process? I can only speak for myself, but I find this extremely hard. So today we decided to tell you a few things about the meanings behind MAP's name. (laughs) 
what's in a name that which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. So says Juliet in Shakespeare's famous play. Juliet goes on to tell Romeo that the name is nothing but a name and hence only a convention with no meaning behind it. She declares her love and tells him she loves the person who is actually wearing the Montague name and not that name itself or the family it comes from. Myself, I love choosing names for projects, encapsulating the essence of an idea and creating that first moment of impact is fascinating, but I too find this difficult. One of my favorite books ends in a reference to names, which the Shakespeare quote made me think of. The book's last line in Latin goes, Stat rosa, pristina nomine, nomina nuda tenemus. This is the end of The Name of the Rose by Italian author Umberto Eco. The phrase translates roughly to something like The Rose of Old remains only in its name. We possess naked names. This conjures up another shade of Juliet's quote. An idea is held by a name, but what's behind it is what's most interesting. I wonder, can you tell us, Quola, how the name of the MAP project came about? Well, I first met Ananda in 2018 at an event run by Arts and Humanities Research Council in London, and we started discussing some ideas related to this work. Even this meeting with Ananda was a mobile encounter. We were attending an event by a funder, which is something we do as researchers, this practical, often mundane and everyday processes of what we do in our job. Movement and communication allowed us both to get to London, meet one another and come together as investigators, a relationship that was further developed over remote virtual meetings. This just gives a sense of how a contemporary mobile life works. Let me share a little bit about my research interests for context. I'm interested in mobilities as a framework that focuses on ways of knowing and learning by being mobile in both physical and technology-mediated spaces. This is less about using mobile technologies to enhance learning and more about how technology can be used to structure and manage these mobilities. I'm also very interested in refugee education. Refugees are paradoxically a highly mobile and at the same time a highly immobile group. I'm thinking about how certain forms of mobility, as we see in forced migration contexts, can be precarious, risky and even dangerous. In my own ongoing research with refugee students at the Open University, I have seen how the dynamics of precarious situations that our displaced students find themselves in frame their experiences at the university. Such a framework on mobilities is particularly relevant. For me, the MAP project was proposing a practice-based mobility agenda for arts by setting in motion not just arts-based methods, but also arts forms, bodies, materials, events, times and spaces. MAP also proposes to place all this in a mobile society that is increasingly characterized by ubiquitous connections and communication. Importantly, the project proposed a way to begin to address major challenges that place barriers to educational progress in development contexts. You can see how my interest was piqued. But let us pick up the project's name again, Mobile Arts for Peace. Today, we are hoping to unpack what's in the project's name. 
Ananda proposed the project, which set to move arts and education research. It was set to move practices that frame and generate contemporary everyday life. It was also set to move scholars, artists, young people, policymakers who are mobile across contemporary, physical and online spaces. Even though I didn't know that back then, the project would adapt what Sangita Bhagagupta at Jönköping University in Sweden calls a mobile gaze. MAP project puts attention to connections between people, local practices, tools and artworks as they emerge in physical, online, private or institutional spaces. It foregrounds the relational and the collective, but also the personal response to the arts. The project is also very attentive to how these elements intersect and are in dialogue with policy and reaction to this over time. In other words, there is a strong interest in mobile and situated forms of knowledge. For now, let me stop here and invite the project's principal investigator, Professor Ananda Breed, professor of theatre at the University of Lincoln, to join me, so we hear what inspired her in coming up with this name. Ananda, hello. Hello. It's a pleasure to have you with us today. It's wonderful to be here with you. Thank you for joining us. Ananda, in this episode, I recalled when we met in that AHRC event back in 2018. After that event, you reached out to me to discuss the project, and I was just talking about how the project's name resonated so much with me. We never really had an opportunity to discuss this before. So can you please talk us through what's in the name for you? The title Mobile Arts for Peace, I think, contains three important words, mobile, art, and peace. The word mobile refers to mobility, flexibility, adaptability. So a big part of mobile arts for peace is adapting local cultural forms for dialogic purposes. There was also initially a vision of bringing the arts and learning about the arts within different geographic regions. I'd been inspired by a project that had a bibliobus, a, a big school bus that went around Rwanda with a mobile library. And when they would get to different villages, uh, the actors and uh, facilitators would pop out of the bus, have a interactive theater performance, and then engage the community and young people uh, with the both theatrical performance and the books that were on board. And, and I thought that was a beautiful way of, of working with and for different communities and serving young people. So in some ways, the idea of Mobile Arts for Peace is about reaching marginalized uh, young people and communities and learning uh, alongside um, these communities in terms of how art forms can be used for peace building. Yes, absolutely. And I'm going to come back to this idea of peace um, in a later question. Uh, but for time being, I just want to pick up the, 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 the decision we made in these um, episodes in the, in the podcast series is to focus on one artwork that has been created in the project. So in this episode, we made a start with the logo, and I wanted to hear from you what's the story behind the logo, how this came about. Please tell us more about this. 
Sure. So we were conducting fieldwork in Rwanda, and we were visiting a school called Friends of the Children's School. This school um, was on a site of an orphanage. So when I conducted my doctoral research in Rwanda from 2004, um, the site where the school is now located was a field. And there was a, a small room or shed in which there was a youth organization who would use performance um, to work alongside um, orphans who may have been from families of survivors or perpetrators. Um, and they were using theater to explore gachacha, to understand terms like justice and reconciliation in terms of their, their own understanding of how they were trying to, I think, find themselves and position themselves in Rwanda post-genocide as a young person. And several members of this particular association worked together to fundraise for the establishment of the Friends of the Children's School. So in this trip during our field work. I visited this school and within the visit we were welcomed by the young people there and there was a blackboard that had tons of images that the young people had created and one of the images was the sketch of what is now the map logo. So I took some photos of, of the beautiful drawings the young people had created on the blackboard and the image, which is the map logo, which is of um, a flower. In Rwanda, if you've done something well and people are congratulating you for your action or your deed, they would state, you know, flowers. You know, I'm giving you flowers. But often this is through a gesture. So you'd move your hands up and down, kind of as if your fingers are raining, which is like flower petals floating. From, from a flower. So I love the idea of the map logo being a flower, um, but I also love that what it stood for. So it was the visualization of the flower, um, the sharing of the petals, the acknowledgement of, um, of good deeds and or positive actions um, and appreciation really. So I love that it was a sign of appreciation. And in MAP, we really try to be of service. So a lot of what we do in MAP is try to understand what might be a need and how might MAP might address that need. So it's really important for us to be of service. And so I really love this, this idea of appreciation and acknowledgement with the image of flower, the flower, or what could be known as kind of a flower's gesture. And in MAP, we, we do communicate through a range of forms. So I, I like the duality of, of it being a gesture and an image at the same time, uh, symbolically. So after we received this, this image, we went back to the artist and we asked the young person if we could use the image as our map logo. And she agreed to this and we also gave her a certificate for um, that contribution. Um, one of our... Uh, partners, Kwaitu Film Institute, was also a part of the ceremony um, in which we gave the certificate to the young person. 
And then we worked with a graphic artist from University of Lincoln, Sinclair Ashman, who developed the, the original sketch into the logo that it is today. Great. Thanks so much, Ananda, for sharing this story. And of course, now it all makes sense why in the team meetings we have the flowers as a gesture as well, uh, which is um, a, a gesture of appreciation, as you said, uh, and back and really um, acknowledging what each of us is bringing to the project. Absolutely. But I would like to go a bit deeper into the idea of peace, Ananda. And I mean, we see peace under threat and we see that conflicts are on the rise around the world. And I want to ask you, you know, reflecting on these four years that the project is going on, how, how relevant do you think the project is, the MAP project is right now? I think it will always be relevant, unfortunately. And that throughout time, we've had incredible movements, incredible leaders, um, and yet we still struggle to be at peace with ourselves and with one another in the world. So unfortunately, I think that the MAP project will always be relevant and that it creates a space for us to explore the root causes to conflict and how we might try to address some of the varied causes to conflict, whether that be structural violence, whether that be about power imbalance, whether that be about um, access to education, to employment, what have you. Um, I think that MAP will always be able to provide a kind of tailored response to understand the root causes to conflict and possible pathways for peace building. Um, and, and I say tailored because a part of the MAP approach is to co-produce the tools that we use. It also um, engages with our participants and beneficiaries. And we take a systems approach in that we're also working across sectors um, to try to ensure that our network enables um, a space in which there's a dialogue about issues and solutions for possible positive change. Could you help us unpack a bit more this theme of the everyday peace building, which is, um, it seems to be one of the emerging themes in the project, uh, and it's the theme that really inspired the, 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 the title of the podcast as well. So to help our listeners, in his 2021 paper, Everyday Peace, How So-Called Ordinary People Can Disrupt Violent Conflict, Roger McKinney explains that everyday peace attends to the, and I quote, personal, informal, hyperlocal, and relational, which he says creates small acts of peace, end quote. These small acts, according to McKinsey, are used by ordinary people to navigate through life in societies affected by violent conflict. So here's another question we ask you. In what way do arts and cultural forms inspire, initiate, and drive such small acts of peace that create our everyday worlds? Do you see this happening in the project? Absolutely. Um, the methodology or approach of mobile arts for peace was in many ways informed and inspired by the doctoral research I conducted in Rwanda from 2004 during the time of the Gachacha Courts, Gachacha and Kenya Rwanda making justice in the grass. 
and between 2004 to 2012, there were over 12,000 community-based courts in which every citizen was mandated by law to attend the courts to achieve what the government had presented as both justice and reconciliation. Alongside this time frame and the process of the Gachacha Courts, I, as a researcher, was very interested in the role of arts. So uh, the then director of culture had described there being an explosion of the arts post-genocide, or, or that there was a kind of kagangahura, or that the arts were used as a kind of cleansing ritual. The National Unity and Reconciliation Commission had reported there being over 350 grassroots associations that emerged during this time, independently of any kind of government-driven campaign or initiative. During my doctoral studies, I observed many of these gachacha courts, and in one particular visit to a grassroots arts association, I was speaking with a survivor who was a part of the association. She was holding a child to her breast, and as she was feeding her child, she motioned to the person sitting next to her, another performer in the association, and she said, when I sing, when I dance, when we do art together, I sometimes forget that my brother here, that he killed my five children. In another visit to an association, the survivor stated that the man who had killed her husband returned to her home 20 times before she decided to forgive him. She stated that at one point, she looked into his eyes and she could see that he suffered as much as her, that they had shared suffering, which is known as Kubabarira in Kinyarwanda. So I was really interested in how the arts could create an alternative space, um, especially because in Rwanda, the Rwandan genocide was a close genocide, meaning that neighbors killed neighbors, family members killed family members. So how could individuals in such you know small proximity to one another um, rebuild relationships, rebuild their community? And it seemed that the arts were in a very effective way for people to reimagine how they might uh, rebuild their relationships and their connection to themselves as well in that healing process. So a lot of this was carried forth within the Mobile Arts for Peace project in terms of trying to understand um, the role of the arts in post-conflict reconstruction, but also in terms of, of being preventative. Thank you, Ananda. These are very powerful stories. Um, and... It's interesting how they tie in with your history as well, you know, your research and how you bring that research from 2004, as you said, to, to today and how, how what was done then, uh, but also within the context of Rwanda is, is informing the, um, the current work, you know. And I wanted to see how, I wanted to ask you actually how the, the methods that are created, are adapted, um, the methods that we draw on in the project reflect these ideas of everyday peace building. Can you perhaps give us an example? In Kyrgyzstan, I had worked with our partnering organization, Foundation for Tolerance International, uh, pre 
the current AHRC GCRF map project from 2010 to 2014. And I was very influenced by the way that they work with communities to understand conflict and peace building. So they use a tool called the conflict tree in which individuals will draw an image of the tree and the tree trunk would be the problem that they would like to explore. The roots would be the root causes to the problem and the branches would be the solutions. So it's engaging individuals to think communally about a particular kind of problem, to understand the root causes of the problem first before looking at um, the, the consequences or the symptoms that have come out of that problem. So trying to address in the first instance the root causes so that the problem doesn't manifest and then trying to understand who needs to be a part of the solution making to address the root problems. So in our work together, we used a lot of different tools and techniques. Um, one of the tools we used was related to something that we called regional share. So participants from the Uzbek, Tajik, Russian, and Kyrgyz communities came together and shared a part of their culture, an art form, a game, a song, a dance, that in some ways expressed through culture a greeting and taught that to the other. So from the very beginning um, in the work that we do with MAP, it is very relational in that it's about giving of yourself something that's important to you in a language um, that really speaks from the heart. So when we share a game or an exercise or a song and we're gifting that to someone else, we're teaching them that, we're sharing that with them, um, something that might be quite personal and important to us that has helped to shape our identity or our community's identity from when we were quite young. So to start a workshop in that way immediately not only um, validates the culture um, and context and region from which you come, not only validates it, but, but then positions it like a gift. So it's not, this is my identity and I'm protecting it and I'm not willing to share it the opposite. It's this is something that's quite important to me and I want to share this with you. I'm going to gift it to you. Not only am I going to gift it to you, but you're going to learn it too. So it's embodying something that's um, that's quite meaningful to one another just in our first interaction on day one. And then we build from that in terms of including trust-building exercises, in terms of including exercises that focus on um, listening to stories and how we listen to stories and how we share with one another, not only in crafting that story, um, but how do we open our hearts? How do we open our bodies in a way that we can listen and in a way that we can mirror back? or reflect someone's story. So if someone knows that they're heard, um, not just with the ears, but it, that it's a whole body sensory experience, just like the regional share from day one, um, that we're honoring one another 
with our lived experience. Um, and in that way, embracing the whole of humanity. And then I'm going to move to um, a few more personal questions for you as the, the project's principal investigator. So I, I wanted to, to find out what, which part of the project do you feel most proud of? The project is made up of a number of individuals who have experienced conflict, who have experienced loss, who have navigated, I think, their own way of living in the world and hopefully creating a space for themselves and others um, in which there can be relationality, in which there can be joy. So in MAP, we use the term abuzu, or joy, as being an approach not just to survival, but of, of living with joy. So how, how can we transform our experience through the arts in a way that we support one another, in, in a way that we support ourselves, in a way that we acknowledge um, past, present, future, but also in a way that we vision and imagine as a tool of peace building. And so I think what I feel most proud of, I don't know if proud would be the right word, what I feel most grateful for is that I've had the rich opportunity of being on this journey with such beautiful uh, makers, you know, makers of of what MAP is today, of makers in terms of illustrating examples of what can be possible when there's been destruction or loss and people have responded in ways that are extraordinary. And so I feel very blessed to be alongside such extraordinary individuals and to be a, a witness to that, I think. And I can relate to that. I, I feel that that has been the, the, the best thing for myself as well. I, I think you, you expressed it appropriately in terms of feeling grateful. Uh, I feel grateful of being in the company of such um, of such beautiful people, really, mm. uh, that form what map is. And then we're going to ask a question that we will be asking this question to everyone, really, that we will be inviting to an interview. Um, and of course, you have a background in theatre and performance. You bring with you such a wealth of expertise when it comes to arts, arts and peace, arts and conflict studies. Um, and, you know, arts have been part of you throughout your life, I would say. Could you please tell us briefly what arts are for you? I was raised, um, one might say, in poverty. So we didn't have much money growing up. My mom made our clothes out of curtains. There's these photos of us with like little bonnets and patchwork dresses. You know, it's like out of a, a storybook or something. Because we didn't have much money, and because my parents are also artists, so my mom is a visual artist, my dad is a musician, I grew up in many ways being cultivated by the arts and by my environment. So my dad studied uh, international agriculture. Whenever we'd be on a walk through the woods, he'd be stopping to pick up a plant and to use the Latin word and term for each plant and, and would tell me its medicinal qualities and really allowed me to interact with nature 
I think in quite an intimate way in terms of trying to understand the textures and how how plants survive, um, how plants communicate to one another. It made me um, appreciate nature in, in quite a nuanced and relational way, I would say. Um, we also grew up on 40 acres in Northern California. And when we first started homesteading, we didn't have electricity or running water. In many ways, nature was my playmate. We would collect clay from the streams to make pots. We'd use wooden blocks to make our own shoes, to clip-clop around. We'd take moss from the branches of trees to create beards, mustaches. We built forts. We would try our hardest to get lost every day with a knapsack full of peanut butter and jam sandwiches and ropes and torches. We'd always find our way back because we'd come across a river stream and we knew it would take us down back to our cabin. I think that um, our connection to nature and our upbringing in which we learned to see what was around us has really informed how I understand art. Every night, instead of, say, watching you know, an episode, we would walk up to what we would call the upper flat, which was at the top of our mountain range, watch the sunset every evening. I had a deep love of sunsets. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember one time my sister and I were playing and, and I wanted to stop to watch the sunset. And she said, no, it'll still be there. I kept playing. It was gone. And I started crying. And my sister took me on her bike to go find the sunset, to go to go fetch the sunset. So there's, um, you know, my connection to local arts or my understanding of kind of the ontology of thinking about art is very much rooted, I guess, in that connection to place and that connection to nature and to the connection with found objects and with the development of material objects that are from found objects or from your local space. And also the idea of the importance of arts as a form of expression. That was also really important um, to myself and my family growing up. Thank you so much for opening your heart to us. That was such a powerful end to this conversation. Um, Thank you, Ananda. You're welcome. Is there anything else you would like to tell us about the project and about your role or about anything else? Just um, to keep your eye on our website, which is map.lincoln.ac.uk. And on our website, you can find this fabulous podcast series. (laughs) as well as amazing artworks that have been developed by the children and young people and participants within the MAP project. There's policy briefs, there's um, the art outputs, which is the dissemination of the research being conducted by our participants, as well as the blogs, publications, videos. Um, So just watch the space. Wonderful. Thank you to Ananda and Kula for this fascinating conversation about the MAP project, art and peace, and the motivations that bring us all together. Have you ever wondered what art means to you? Follow us in this series as we discover a bit more about art and the MAP project. Thanks for listening to episode one. This is the Everyday Peace Building Through the Arts podcast. 
My name is Dr. Kula Haridonos. I am a researcher in MAP working at the Open University in the UK. And I am Dr. Cherezade Garcia Rangel, writer and podcast producer based at the University of Lincoln. In this episode, we listen to two songs. The first is our theme song. It was composed and sung by Alexandra Eteriteka. It's played by Umuduri Band, and it was produced by Frank Tamari. MAP is its theme. The second song is Imjiko Umjisa Sampo, also by the Umuduri Band from Rwanda. Episode 1 was written by Kula and me. This episode was produced and edited by me. Subscribe to our podcast where we share with you what we know and things we would love to know more about, about the methods and approaches of this fascinating MAP project. To learn more about this project, visit MAP's website, map.lincoln.ac.uk. Follow us on X, previously Twitter, at mobile underscore underscore arts. Episode 2 will be coming out soon. We look forward to you hearing it. Support and they are our social benefits. So let's stand up for all